So, hey, let's stand up. We're going to do some calisthenics. I'm just kidding. Okay. Arms out and circles forward. No, okay. I'm kidding. Man, some of you guys are like on it, man. You're like, yes. All right. Good stuff. All right. And, uh, and so what I want us to do is we're going to read Scripture. Now, here's what I have been asking you guys. Uh, when we're reading this, yes, it's going to be up here. Uh, but I believe this, that like, it, just like when we sing songs and the lyrics, and it might be a brand new song, right? And we might not even know it and the lyrics and we feel like we're just, here's what it is. It's the heart, right, behind what we're doing. You're like, how can you pray scripture? Well, I'm gonna, we're going to do it right now. I'll show you. All right. It looks a lot like reading. But here's the difference. We're saying, God, would you just come and do the things that, that I'm praying? Would you come and do that? I want to be a part of what you're doing. So would you just come, Holy Spirit? And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to pray this. And, and again, the passage is Psalms 139. Andy, shouldn't we, like, we've been doing this for a couple of weeks. Shouldn't we move on to another scripture? No, let's pray this one. Let's pray this one. We're gonna, we're, and here's what it is. It becomes then not only like familiar in this rote way, it becomes this thing that, that's on our heart then. And, and so pray with me this scripture, if you would. We'll start in verse 1 of, of chapter 139 of Psalms. Oh, hello. All right. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too great for me to understand. Now here's what I want you to do. Remain standing. And now I want you just to listen to the words that the psalmist wrote. I want you to place your heart in a place that's ready to receive. And for some of you, that might mean closing your eyes. For others, it might mean that your eyes are open. But here's what I would encourage you. Open your heart to what the Holy Spirit might do. So I'm going to read this and pray this, and you're just going to receive, okay? Oh Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You know me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Amen. You may be seated. Just even before we get started this morning, I just want to tell you that God's doing some great things. He's stirring some things, and 
in people, and I'm praying that he's stirring things in your own life. And a lot of what we've been talking about in our particular small group is the God of the mundane, meaning the God that shows up right in the midst of where we are. He shows up when we're at work. He shows up when we're in the store. He shows up when we're doing laundry. He shows up in the middle of the things that we're doing. And one of those examples is through the Bible where we, we see Moses who's just tending uh, his flock, his father-in-law's flock, and, and God shows up and then he calls Moses by name. And I just want to encourage you this morning that God is, is calling you by name. He knows you, he sees you, he loves you. And he loves you right where you are. And so I just want to encourage you with that this morning, even before we got started, is that, that God sees you. And he loves you. And so, shift gears here. I want you to picture this couple called Frank and Eileen. Frank and Eileen. They are just, they're an older couple. All right. They're in there late 80s, and um, Frank, over the years, has accumulated wealth, and it's a pretty good sum of wealth. And then over accumulation and over time, Frank has also become more stingy, while his wife, Eileen, remains super giving, giving of her financial resources, giving of uh, her time. And, uh, but Frank has become kind of an old fuddy-duddy and stingy. So he holds everything close and well. And then unfortunately, um, one day, Frank uh, passes away. Now, in his uh, last request to his wife, as he's sitting there in the bed, he says, uh, there's one thing I want, honey. She says, what is it, Frank? I want you to go to the bank. And I want you to bury me with all my money. And the wife's kind of taken aback. And she's like, wow, okay. And so the funeral happens. And the wife and Eileen wants to respect Frank. And so as the casket is being lowered down into the ground, she takes a box and she puts it in the ground with Frank. And her best friend leans over to her and says, what was that? And she goes, well, Frank asked me to bury him with all of his money. And so I did. And she goes, all of his money was in that box? And she goes, well, I, what I did was I took all of his money, I deposited it in my checking account, and I wrote him a check. <laughs> and so here is the deal. <laughs> the deal is this, all right? So Frank was greedy. His wife was super wise, all right? And so she followed through. And, uh, but here, here's the deal is all of our stuff that we have, it's going to pass away, all right? We can try to take it with us, but I've been to very few funerals where a Wells Fargo truck is following them, loaded with money. And it's all going to stay here. And so James... Uh, man, he, I don't know if you guys have been, I hope you have been, like I've been challenged through this whole series, Wholehearted uh, Finding Life in Christ, is 
it, is James just keeps hitting these points that are very like relevant to me and I hope to you as well. And, and so last week in the, in the first part of chapter four, we talked about spillover, right? Like our lives, your life is going to spill over something and it's going to be good or it's going to be bad. Sometimes it's just going to be, mm, okay, um, but your life is going to spill over something. And so it, what are we filling ourselves with, though, where spillover happens? If we're filling ourselves and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us, guess what? Out of our life is going to come fruit, and that fruit is going to multiply, and it's going to be good, and people are going to see that, and people are, people's lives are going to be changed because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. If we're filling our life with garbage, all right, there's only so long that you can pretend like it's not going to affect you. But that spillover is going to happen. And what are we going to see? Well, we're going to see garbage. And so in this latter part of chapter 4, James uh, starts with verse 11 here. and, And he divides this last section up into two different uh, topics, if you will. We'll cover both of those today. But it starts with this. It says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you, continues in verse 12. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? And so here's what we see. Um, He is, James, in these two verses, he is imploring the reader to obey the law. What law are we talking about? Because sometimes, you know, Jesus says, you guys love the law more than you do people. And what Jesus is talking about is this extravagant law that they've made. All of these regulations come in. You know, it's like if we did here and we had a checklist and we were like, hey, um, you know, skirts to here and tucked in and button shirt. And you got to look a certain way to come in in order for God to accept you. And we know that that's a bunch of malarkey, right? So Jesus and James, because James, if you notice, James is echoing Jesus a lot. I think he liked his big brother, all right? right? He, he like echoes a ton of what Jesus says, and especially where we find in the Sermon on the Mount. So he says this, the law. And the law he's referring to is out of Leviticus 19, verse 18. And it says, here's the synopsis, love your neighbor. Now, that's important because the last part of it says, so what right do you have to judge your neighbor? James is saying, no, just love your neighbor. See, because I I think James in this little section is saying, hey, how's the warring been going? How has the jealousy been going? How has the judgment been going? How has the godlessness, how's that been going for you? You know, it's kind of a rhetorical question because James already knows how it's going for them. And it's not going real well. And so he's encouraging us, stop judging, start loving. And here's what he is. It, this is all in love, too, because 
Here's what James knows. There's something, something immensely better that they're missing because they won't open their hearts to what God is doing. And I don't know about you, but I found myself in that situation before where I'm missing out on what God is doing because I'm concentrating on what God is not doing or what I think he should do. And what do I do? Well, I look around. Oh, well, look at them. They're doing this. They're doing that. Here, here's what I'm saying to you. In our own lives, how many times do we look at other people and automatically we judge them instead of loving them initially? And I believe what James is calling us to do, and I believe what God's calling us to do is love people where they are. And so James, again, like I said, he's repeating a solid truth here because Jesus is talking and talks about judgment. Matter of fact, in Matthew 7, in a paraphrase, um, he said this, treat people like you want to be treated. How do you want to be treated? Oh, and if you're going to judge somebody, just remember the same standard of judgment that you're using on them will be used on you. Now, when we read that and we think, whoa, okay, I need to calm down. I mean, I do. Right? Like, I got everything together. I don't have everything together. Jesus, he, he even says this, paraphrase. Hey, so here's a better plan. You do you and get your life in order. Come to me, surrender your life to me, and then go help your friend. See, the, he didn't say, and then go judge your friend. He said, then go help your friend. And I was thinking about this, and this is a genius way of living. Of course, it's coming from a genius who is Jesus. And it's not a cop-out. Here's what, the difference is this. When Jesus says, hey, you know, and, and he talks about the log in your eye and all this, right? And you're going to try to pick out the speck in your friend's eye. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. When, when you come to me and you, you get your life right, if you will, if you, if you submit your life to me, when you approach your friend, you're going to be doing it in love instead of judgment. See, because we use this saying too, right? Don't judge me. Like if someone says something critical to you, don't judge me. Have you ever been critiqued before? Anybody in here? Have you ever been critiqued in love? Does it feel good still? No one's hand. Okay, good. No, it doesn't. But is there a difference when you're critiqued in love and when you're just critiqued? I mean, it's oceans of difference, right? Typically what happens when you're critiqued in love is this, that you are mad at first because, no, I mean, no one likes to be critiqued, right? I mean, I, I don't know people that are like, I just love it, man. Like, it's the best when people are, like, negative with me. I love it. But what they realize is, and when it's done in love, it's not really negative. It's, hey, I see this in you, and I, I just want to bring it to your attention. You know, it's not like, hey, you're worthless, and this is crap. Right now, have you guys done that before to people? Well, that's rhetorical. I'll answer for me. I have. All right, and it's not really a good approach. Let me just tell you from an expert. All right, it's not the way that you want to go about changing people's lives and day. All right, and so what are we going to do? Well, we're going to love people. Well, what am I going to do first? Well, I have to be transformed 
into the image of Christ. I have to be transformed from the inside out because in the depths of who I am is what matters when stuff pours out. When I'm, when I'm in a situation that is super tough, if I have been pouring in trash, guess what's going to come out? Not good stuff. When I submit my life to Christ, and, and guess what's going to come out? Well, patience, righteousness. I'm going to be a peacemaker instead of a warrior or warring, a person that's warring, a person that always has friction with other people. I'm going to be a peacemaker. And so, now, I want to say this. Does that mean you can never say anything bad about somebody? No. But it's the heart. And again, bad about somebody, what does that mean? No, hey, I want to see people grow in Christ. I want to see them become more like Christ so I can nudge them in that way, knowing that I can never change them. And it gives us a relief because, wow, I don't have to change this person. Like the Holy Spirit has to change them. And then I want to ask one more question. It's not on my notes, but I want to ask this question. How much are you praying for that person that you're criticizing? All right. So in Mark 12 and Luke 10, we see this account where Jesus is asked this question. Hey, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Well, in Mark 12, 29 through 31, Jesus says the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandments or commandment is greater than these. And what we see in the Luke 10 account is, again, we've talked about this, but, but the, the person or the questioner says, well, who is my neighbor? And I love this, right? Because he want, he's... He's trying to get out. He's saying, well, then can you specify who my neighbor is? And it makes me think this. We always want law, don't we? We always want a checklist because then I know that I'm okay. We always want to do, uh, we always want someone, hey, can you bring it from the mountain down to me and just tell me exactly what I'm to do? Because then it's just easy And I want to say this, with Jesus, there's no checklist. Like, you are the checklist. Like, have you given your life over to Jesus? Check. Okay, then keep walking that direction. Right? Be Christ to the people that are around you. Right? Because what do we want? We want law. We want stuff that says, yes, you had your quiet time. You are good. Yes, you or you held the door for somebody today. Yes, you gave somebody a bottle of water. And if you did those three things, then you can live however you want to for the rest of the time. But what Jesus is saying is, I want all of you. From the moment that you get up until you go to bed, I want you to be directed by me. And when you're sleeping, I got you too. All right? And so... No checklist. Does he have all of you? 
Now, he says these ancient truths. Now, these are ancient truths because if you guys know anything about the Bible, there's these things called the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus, what we read is the third verse of chapter 20, and it's not going to show up, but just listen to me. It says, you must have no other gods but me. You can have no other gods but me. Now, why do I say that scripture? Jesus didn't say that. Because that's foundational. There's no other gods but me. Right? And and so what Jesus actually says is out of Deuteronomy 6. Verse 5. And you must love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And then he says out of Leviticus 19.18, which we've already covered, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. These things have been around for hundreds of years, these truths. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want to boil all of what you've made, all the laws, everything, I want to boil it down to two things. Love God, love people. If you do those two things, if you hold nothing else before God and you love the people around you, you will accomplish more than all of these other rules that you have made. But here's what happens. I don't know. I'm just going to speak for myself here. Here's what happens to me. I can get caught in the ruts and the ways that are around me in culture Have you guys seen any of these lately? No? Okay. So we've seen them. And so instead of taking on Christ, right, well, what do I do? Well, I take on the the patterns of the culture. I am a contemptuous person. I talk badly about people. I then find myself with no compassion. If you're angry, full of contempt, you will have no compassion. It's, real, it's a simple formula, all right? If you walk around and all you want to do is beat people over the head, that's not compassion, all right? And so what do we do? Well, we're called to love people. And I believe this too, the act of demonizing a group, demonizing a person, talking bad about a person, belittling a person. Here's what the deal is. It's cyclical. It repeats itself. It is a horrible habit. Horrible. Why? Because hate begets hate. We've talked about this before. A good way not to end a fight is to swing back. There, you're not a peacemaker. All right? Now, are there situations where someone breaks into your house and you need to defend? Yes, okay? But you're not going around, all right, clubbing people over the head for their potential of them breaking into your home, right? But we do this. And so what do we need to do? Well, in the beginning of his letter, James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, right? Human anger does not produce the righteousness God Desires, we are called to be peacemakers. Wow. How many of you, like me, could learn how to listen better? Anybody? 
See that? Uh, I'm going old school here. I see that hand. All right, I see that hand. No, okay. Yes, we could listen. Wow, how many times have I thought to myself after I said something like, you should have just not said something? You could have be, been quiet. What would that produce? So the challenge of the church is this. Uh, the definition of insanity is to continue to do things like you've always done them and expect different results, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let us in on a, on a trade secret here. All right? Everybody lean in a little bit. Here we go. We cannot replicate in the church what culture does and expect different results. Okay? I'm going to say that again so that we all get this trade secret. We cannot replicate in the church what the culture does what is happening in our culture, and expect different results within the church. We think, do, do we honestly think, well, we have Jesus, so things will turn out different if I'm jealous and bitter and rude and I talk about people. No. They will turn out exactly the same. Why? Because the inputs are exactly the same. Trash equals trash. Okay? So, what are we called to do? Well, we're called to be completely different. Well, it's a good thing because I'm really nice to everybody on Sunday morning at church. Come here. Let's lean in again. Another trade secret. Here's the deal. You're, you're not at church right now. What? You are the church. And you just happen to be meeting in a building. See, that, that's a reality that we have got to come to. That it's, if I treat everybody here in this room at this time from 10 a.m. to whenever, then I'm good. And, and I, I fulfilled what, what, what Jesus has called me to. I'm, I'm good to the church. You are the church. Your words as a, as a follower of Christ, they matter. They really do matter. Wow, okay, then that would take us back to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Can I say slow to post? Why? Because anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. We are called to be peacemakers. So, wow, let that hit you. I'm the church. Can y'all say that? I'm the church. I'm the church. Part of the church. You're part of the capital C church. This is, a, this is a building. It's a metal building. Lakeland Vineyard is a church building where the church meets. But if you guys don't show up, and if you're online and you're not showing up, we don't have a church. We just have a building. So when you leave here, you are on mission. And here's what I think, too. Well, I, it's not that I think this. I know this, okay? If we mimic the culture that is full of anger and contempt, which we cl clearly see, okay? If you've looked at the news for even a moment, if you've looked at what's going on in some of our cities around the nation, you can see that there's anger and contempt, 
If we fall into this same pattern, now is it fine to be disgusted with injustices? Yes. Is it fine that, you know, you're angry and mad and you're punching your neighbor? No. I don't remember seeing Jesus do that. And here's what will happen. If we conform to culture, the church will lose the attractiveness that the gospel is. Because the gospel is a, should be an example for culture. See, at, at the end of this thing, we have a new heaven and a new earth. If you read Romans 8, there's transformation that is taking place. All things will be made new, right? So if we're headed in that way, if we're kingdom people, guess what? We're part of that process. The church is part of that process of making all things new. We're used by the Holy Spirit in making all things new. Well, I can't answer old problems with old answers. I have to answer them with the kingdom of God. When we seek justice, we seek justice. We seek kingdom justice. See, the gospel calls you to love your enemies, to be like Christ to those you interact with. The gospel of Christ calls you to take care of the widows and the orphans. The gospel of Christ calls you to be agents of change in our culture, not changed by the culture. The gospel of Christ is the only way that we find that we can actually live radically different than the culture that is around us. And it called, the gospel calls us to live radically different lives. Here's what I want to say too. The gospel isn't for you to catch cute sayings out of and to find, um, you know, this, this momentary satisfaction in life. The gospel is not written as a self-help book. The gospel is written as a book of transformation that, acts, that actually takes hold of your heart and begins to transform you from the inside out. And I think that is the key, this inside-out transformation. How do you know that you're being changed? Well, your experience will tell you that. It's real simple. There's a tiny little litmus test. Are you still yelling at people when they cut you off in traffic? Are you still treating people like dirt? Okay. This isn't to make you feel bad. It's just reality. Like, okay, are we? Okay, well, God still needs to work on me in that area. We experience hope because of the reality of the gospel. Now, what does this look like? We have to turn to Philippians 2. I love this passage right here. There's 11 verses here. I'm going to read them all. And they're so good. Because I think it puts everything into perspective, or it does for me anyways. Here's what it says. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Stop there. Belonging to Christ, meaning I am not my own. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Tender and compassionate. If you go back to a book called Ezekiel, it says that God will give you, replace your heart of stone that's hardened its ways towards God, and he'll replace it with a fleshly heart that is responsive to him. All right? And then in verse 2 it says uh, in Philippians, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly 
with each other, love one another, and work together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only out for, or don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the answer. That right there, what we just read. And I encourage you, go home and read that over and over again. Okay, I want us to put this in the perspective because I want to refer real quick to John 1. Who is the Word? Because He was there in the beginning and all things were created through Him is Jesus. He's all-powerful. All right. He humbles himself, though. And what is this writer? The writer of Philippians is saying what? You need to humble yourself just like Jesus did. What would give you a place of privilege? Jesus didn't even take that place of privilege. He humbled himself. We're called to be like Jesus. What do we have to do? We have to humble ourselves. What does part of that mean? I cannot talk about people. I can't spread rumors about people. If I have a problem with somebody, I want to come along beside them instead of punch them in the head. And believe me, you can punch people with words. How do I know that? Because I've done it. It hurts. So the answer to quarreling, the answer to hatred, the answer to social problems, the answer to judgment is this. Be like Christ. It is literally the only answer. James shifts gears then and he says this. In chapter 4, verse 13, he says this. Look here, you who say today and tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year, we will do business there and we will make a profit. Uh, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. Some, um, some translations say like a vapor. It is here for a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Again, we see this echo of Jesus, right? We see James um, coming from out of Matthew 
uh, 6, right in the thick of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks to people about possessions and money. And, he, and he's asking this question in so many verses, in verses 31 through 34, but we're not going to say those. He's asking this question. He's saying, why are you letting possessions and money consume your thoughts and control your life? Now, what we do is this. Especially in an affluent society, we have what's called insatiable wants. Why? Because we have so much stuff before us. Go to Lakeside Village t- this afternoon. I bet you you could go out there and pick out a thousand things, literally a thousand things that you wanted. Are, I mean, are you with me on that? I could, for sure. Like, go out there and, and we do that, all right? And, or, you know, we've talked about it before. How about Amazon? Wow, then you can pick out like 10,000 things because it's all right there in front of you, all right? And, and so, but we live in this society. We live in a society where we order a pair of shoes and we don't understand why they're not coming in in two days. Like, what is seven to 10 business days? Am I, who's delivering those? All right, are they coming on a pony? All right, what are, we're like, right, we're, we're, we get this mindset, right? Of, man, I deserve those now. Um, and we do have this mindset often in the West that we deserve things. We deserve a standard of living. We deserve this. Now, what we do is we're short-sighted because we don't ever just look around then, and I don't mean just around here. I mean, and you could l- look right around here and find out that you probably have a pretty good life. And then if you look further than that, if you look in developing nations, you realize, oh my gosh, I literally have nothing to complain about. So here's what I want to I ask because uh, this is so important. So Andy, what are, you, what are you saying then? Are you saying that we should live this ascetic life then? We should give up everything. Uh, we should beat ourselves with ropes, you know, like, <laughs> like the old ascetics did. No, I'm not saying that. Again, I, I think, again, it's a checklist, right? We want a checklist. Well, if I don't have this, if I don't have this pair of shoes, or if I don't get this purse, but I bought this purse, or if I got this backpack and not that backpack, I want a list. Like, give me the list of, like, what I can have and follow Jesus. And here's what I'd say to you. I think as far as possessions and cars and all this stuff, uh, you know, to a point, I think Jesus would say, you can have whatever you want. Like, but what's the heart behind why you have it? Like, Jesus is not saying, hey, rich person, you need to be poor. He's not saying that. And I think sometimes we can harp on that. We can be like, well, you know, we can make people feel bad because they have a Mercedes. Here's what I'm asking. Yeah, is that an expensive car? Or a Maserati? Or the new Corvette? Guys, I'll take it. If I have to. No, but, but it's this. In the West, we, we tend to do this, and you see it, and I don't want to crush anybody here. Your economic status, I just want to tell you this, your economic status doesn't equate to your status in the kingdom. Okay? And we do that. Oh, God, I'm struggling financially. What did I do wrong? Maybe nothing. And again, go read the book of Job. <laughs> I mean, what did I do wrong? Nothing. Okay? 
And so your economic status does not mean, if you're doing great, it doesn't mean, man, I am, I am blessed. Here's why you're blessed. Because you're a son or a, da- or a daughter of the king of kings. And he calls you friend. That's why you're blessed. And, and so the why behind the what? Having stuff isn't bad. Am I living so tight, though, that I have no margin to, to give to my brother or sister who is in trouble? Do I have so much stuff that the stuff consumes my life? And I can't, there's no wiggle room. Now, are you going to go through seasons of your life like that? Some of you are, where there really is like literally no wiggle room, and it's not because of, you know, all this stuff you have. It's just because stuff has happened or sales aren't going real good or, you know, someone loses a job or something like that. But the overall picture is what? Wow, why do I have this stuff? You know, I can, let me just say this. If you have two car payments, you have a boat, a jet ski, and all this stuff, and you're barely making it by, I, you know, give the boat and jet ski back to the bank. Well, it's going to ruin my credit. Well, it might for a little bit. It's not going to ruin your life, though. Like, how many times do we have stuff where it's ruining our lives, but we have cool stuff? Who cares? What's more important, your life or the cool stuff? Again, it's that why question, all right? So here, a little insider. I'm not giving you a law to follow. I'm saying follow Jesus. Be responsive to the things that he's calling you to do. I'm asking you, again, I'm going to use this term, I'm medieval enough to think you can ask Jesus, Jesus, should I buy this? And I believe he will speak to you. Simple. Okay? Is it simple? I think it's simple. But it's tempting, right? How many of you guys want a new pair of shoes right now? Anybody? How many of you want a new car? Okay? How many of you want anything new? No one. We have a bunch of people that are just, they don't want anything new. You want a new house, right? Okay, and put your, your hand's been up since the beginning. Okay, listen, this guy's wanting everything. Okay, but here's the deal. We, we want, we want, but do we ever involve God? Can I tell you a little story and then, I'll, then we'll wrap? Is this. Jen and I made great plans, and they were great plans. Doggone it. Next summer, our family, we were headed to Grand Tetons. This summer, coming up, 2021. We're going to Grand Tetons. We're going to go to Yellowstone. We're going to take a little extended vacay. We're going to go up there. We're going to camp because when you have a family of eight, that's what you do. You camp. The tent's already paid for. You don't have to pay for that, okay? And so you camp, and it's super fun. Um. So we're, we're, starting the, we're starting to plan this. We're looking at campsites. We're doing all this stuff. And then Jen loses her job. So I reminded God, God, we had this vacation plan. I don't know if you remember that or not, but I'm going to need you to step into my plans here and bless those plans. Okay. And so here's what's, here's what's going to happen. We're, I learned a lesson from that. Hey, let's involve God in what we're going to do. You mean like, in like that kind of stuff we should involve god well if we're saying god you can have all of me it means all of you 
Now, can that become super religious? Yes. But again, it's the heart. I just want to express that to you this morning. What is the heart behind what you're doing? That's it. That's what Jesus cares about. He wants your heart. I mean, in a book in, a book in the Old Testament, it says, away with your sacrifices, away with your songs. I don't want them. I want you. And I believe God is saying that even today. Let's not just accumulate and not evaluate. It's so easy to accumulate. It's super hard to evaluate. Evaluate, God, do you want this? Because here's the deal. Do you want me to have this? You might have to wait. Okay? I don't know about you guys, but waiting. Okay? Again, I live in an Amazon Prime error. I don't want to wait. When the CD comes out or when the album comes out, I get it that day. Remember back in the day? Dude, those things were $14.99. $17.99. You were waiting in line to get the album. Now you're like, you click a button. And it's the day and age we live in. Right? It's what we've created. When I text somebody, I call Chuck. He doesn't answer. I text Chuck. He doesn't answer for like 30 minutes. What the heck are you doing? What are, why are you not, and, you know, and God forbid it's 12 hours later. What? You know, Chuck is actually like amazingly fast at answering emails. I'm like, da, 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 da. I'm like, did he just, what? Okay. Um, and so uh, we live an instant life, all right, and we kind of need to get over that. Okay. Last question. Do these ancient truths and teachings still apply to you and I today? Do they still apply? Um, unequivocally, yes. They do. They're ancient teachings that actually translate into our modern time. Wow. We can live simply so other people can simply live. Again, this isn't a badge of honor. This is saying, why do I have what I have? Are there things that I could give up in order to see other people's lives changed and truly blessed? Not just possession blessed, blessed by the King of Kings. All right? When we meet disagreement, do we meet it in love or do we meet it in hate? Love begets love, hate begets hate. Love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? When you leave here today, everyone you see is your neighbor. Love them well. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. These are ancient truths that impact our lives directly today. Stand with me. God, I thank you that you are alive and well and that you call us sons and daughters and you call us friends. And I pray, God, that as we leave this place, as we leave this building today, that we would leave on mission. And I pray that we would leave full of your presence and 
with an understanding that transformation from the inside out is the only thing that really matters. This relationship with you that causes us transformation from the inside out. God, I pray that that would begin to, that we would begin to take on the character of Christ. That as we read through the Philippians passage, God, uh, 2, uh, 1 through 11, that, that we would take on the character of Christ, that we would take on the attitude of Christ, that we would be humble to those around us. We don't have all the answers, but we have the answer that's found in you. And God, here's what I would pray. We would stop looking for checklists and we would start living for you. God, that we would evaluate how we're doing our relationship with you. Is it meaningful? Is it changing? Are we, are we being transformed into your likeness? And God, I pray that we would do the things, God, that you're calling us to do. Day by day, hour by hour, that we would evaluate our relationship instead of just accumulating things. Because we can't take it with us. But we can influence people's lives around us. We can, we can tell them about your goodness, your greatness, your kindness, your mercy, your hope. And I pray that we would do just that. God, as we leave this room, I pray that we would leave on mission as the church, impacting change in our community. I pray that you just have your way in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.